What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today we are talking about episode 10 of the first season entitled, Mike, can you give us the laugh? <laughs> well, that was a flawless, the Nagus laugh. Uh, we have uh, so much fun uh, this episode, and I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, we apologize in advance uh, to all of the listeners who are complained about me doing the uh, the Nagus laugh laugh last week, but that will not be the last laugh because uh, it's just too much fun. So uh, yeah, lots to talk about this week. Lots to uh, lots to get into. But before we uh, start talking about the episode, I have a I have a thank you to uh, yes, put out I'd love into to hear this. the internet because we've uh, we've been on the struggle bus a fair amount uh, with me uh, uh, end gaming out for no reason all the time and and we were losing my, uh, our packets and my internet signal and uh, turns out so I call Xfinity. Uh, who I've had a uh, you know a bit of an antagonistic relationship with this whole time. Fair to but, say, uh, I think that's fair to say. But uh, but today, they they sent out a tech to come and investigate what's going on with this, and uh, our new friend, new subscriber to the show, Star Trek fan Neil, came in and uh, had to pull the wire off of the pole and replace the actual cable between the uh, the power line and the house because the old one was old and we were losing signal like crazy and uh neil like a freaking rock star hops you know climbs up the seven thousand foot ladder cuts the cable replaces the cable and here we are rock solid locked and loaded very excited so uh xfinity we're not always friends but you, you got a kick-ass tech so neil thank you very much you if know, I you, don't blip out, it's because of you, bud. You might not be running a small uh, space station from your living room like Keith and I are. Mm -hmm. However, you know it. It always you always should check to make sure you're getting what you pay for, uh, mm -hmm. depending on what you're paying for your internet. Because I would say nine times out of ten, nine point nine times out of ten, you're getting screwed somewhere on the line. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, get yourself a speed test, run it. And uh, make sure yep. you're getting somewhat close to what you're paying for. Well, at this particular moment, I am currently getting 118% of what I'm paying for. So That's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's the stuff right there that makes <laughs> this possible. You want to know who else makes this possible? Ooh, that's a professional, Segui. I know. I'm, I'm getting so good at this. Only 10,000 hours we've put on this. Uh, the people who make this show run, and that is our fine and generous patrons who have joined us at patreon.com slash K&M. And what, what do they find there, Mike? Well, first of all, they find a little button that lets them give us money. And as mm. much as we joke about it, I will say uh, Keith and I put a lot of time into prepping the episodes, watching the episodes, and making them look quasi-professional. And to offset that time, we both have full-time jobs. And uh, this is a full-time job on top of that, so you can help us produce the show and have yourself be a producer credit. So that's the first thing. Also, you get little bonus adds. Number one, if you're a fan of 
Keith and Mike watch Deep Space Nine. Well, before Keith and Mike talk about Deep Space Nine, Mike watches mm. Deep Space Nine in real time for the yeah. first time, and you can watch along with me. I post that every week for our subscribers at the second tier level. Also, fun behind-the-scenes stuff for our other podcasts, little AMAs. We do Keith and Mike Watch. We have a TNG episode we did last month. This month, we're about to, to record something new this month. And sometimes you get free episodes early of various shows. We did an interview with a custom action figure creator, Chris from CRM Productions, uh, that's on the feed right now. It's going live on YouTube this Saturday, but you can check it out early if you're a patron. Keith, how in the world could we do the show without our our illustrious patrons who we will now enumerate? Indeed we will, as soon as you put it up. Yes, we would like to thank Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, CloudLover69, Jorge Navoa, Alan Zimmerman, and last name to be determined if she would like to have her last name on the internet. We'll find out. And, of course, our newest friend at CRM Productions. Uh, you can join them at patreon.com slash K&M. All right, what do you say we talk about the Nagus? I'm... I'm uh, I'm super excited to talk about this episode. Lots of uh, fun stuff to dig into, and one of my and we'll talk about it later. But one of my favorite things about this episode is we start laying lore. We we're planting seeds that will be come to fruition seasons and seasons into the future. Oh, cool! Uh, we we plant a seed in this episode that gets played out in the series finale. Whoa! So. It's crazy. Uh, All right. Th there's there's like a lot of stuff here. If you're paying attention, it's a really fun episode. Keith, maybe you're about to, to talk about it in the in the trivia section, but I'm curious as to whether, you know how earlier in the series, I think was the first or second episode, they they, determined, they, they aired them out of order? Mm-hmm. Was that the case here? Because I th found it interesting that they back-to-backed -back episodes that featured uh, Quark and Jake. Yeah, I I don't know if this was aired out of order. I did not see that in any of my research, um, but yeah, it is interesting that they they did do back to back Jake and Quark episodes. Um, this one I so, found more effective. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Uh, profoundly so, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, there's I'll I'll talk about it more as it's happening. But I I what I like about this episode is I I get the sensation of traction. Mm -hmm. narratively and character-wise that we haven't had the last two episodes. So, anyway, let's not let's not review the episode before we re-review the episode because mm -hmm. we have to talk about when this episode aired. And that, of course, was Sunday, March 21st, 1993. We were throwing on our Walkmans, throwing on the headphones, and listening to Mike's amazing performance. He's not having a stroke. Do not call an ambulance. Mike, let's hear a little of Informer by Snow. Informer. I don't know the words. Didn't know them then. Then I don't know them now. But I like your boom boom geef. Wow. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, so that's going to be the, the number one song for a while now. And just like I Will Always Love You, I need somebody to make a super cut of all of Mike's performances <laughs> all together so we can all dance uh, and have a great yeah, time. I imagine you know, in 93, you boom boom was the same thing you boom boom means now, no? I I would feel like the, the inference, the uh, whatever the subtext is on a boom boom, it feels uh, similar to a milkshake 
or mm-hmm. uh, or or some other, you know, you know no, what I mean. I mean, at least he all he's, he's saying is that he enjoys your boom boom. It's it doesn't seem like it's sexualizing it in any sort of way. It just he's it's a nice compliment. He enjoys your boom boom. I, I, you know, I, boom boom feels inherently sexual to me, right. unless like you know, just like I made a boom boom and. <laughs> That's different. All right, we're oh, off the rails. Yes, yes. The top right. movie. The top movie was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three. Two was Secret of the Ooze. Mike, what was the third one? Oh, well, I mean, it's it, one of my favorite in the entire Turtles oeuvre. I mm-hmm. would say that uh, this was the one where they traveled, but 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 back in time. Yes, indeed. Keith, I mean, some may assume that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I screwed up and we had to record this episode like three times, and so I already what? you had to you've Googled that for me. But mm-hmm. some might think that I just had that knowledge in my old little boom boom. <laughs> I pulled it out my boom boom now. I want to go back in time and take the, the not do the show. <laughs> All right, so the New York Times headline talked about Yeltsin claims emergency powers, calls April 25th referendum. Uh, Interesting, the intrigue happening in Russia at that point. This was not the the end of Yeltsin's regime. He was in a a battle for power, and uh, they almost had a civil war, and yet he he won and retained power uh, for another seven years before uh you know putin took over and it all went great anyway so uh now let's talk about this episode proper the negus was directed by david livingston uh veteran director of various star trek properties he did two episodes of next generation 17 of deep space 9 28 episodes of voyager and 15 episodes of enterprise so, uh, very experienced, deep into the Star Trek lore. And this show also has a story by David Livingston. Uh, this is his only Star Trek credit as a writer, but he did contribute the story to this, uh, along with Michael Piller. And it has a teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear, uh, who would go on to become the showrunner and is such a big part of the Deep Space Nine legacy. And I can already sort of see... You know those seeds I talk about being planted throughout this episode. I uh, I don't know this for in any way certain, but if I were a betting man, I would say that was Irish Stephen Bear just dropping little seeds into the dialogue here, there, and everywhere. Uh, so uh, I think that's why it starts to feel like oh, this is the the more fully formed, coagulated uh, Deep Space Nine. So that's uh that's exciting. Mike, you want to know is uh, what's exciting, but also a little trivial. Uh, yeah, I. I That's your, that, there, that, but there's see, only one place one could find that information, mm-hmm. Keith, and it's yes. this place. Yeah, no, that was now. Keith, waste your time with trivial trivia. Okay, so I have five pieces of trivial trivia today. Ooh, okay, bringing it. First off. He, you know, we Keith usually has five pieces of pit trivia, but we lose them in the packets, so you only yeah, get sometimes. two or three. You only yeah. get like three and a half, yeah. yeah. So, in this episode, there is a scene of Morn laughing. And that is the only sound he will make 
in 93 appearances on the show. Interesting. Uh, and it is indeed Mark Allen Shepard's voice who is the person playing Morn, who is almost never credited in the episode because he doesn't speak and therefore technically is an extra, despite the fact that it's a major character in the show. I think he Crazy. also has one of the most superfluous scenes in this whole episode, but we'll get there too. It's a, you know it's a setup. We have we have to we have we find this a lot, right? We have to start the story in a slice of life, and then it's interrupted by the action that begins. No, I don't even mean that. I mean later in the episode when they're about to do the meeting. We'll get to it, obviously. But and they like he's like, no, we're we're closed for business, and he's just standing there outside the window, going like, because it's funny. It's a joke. He's oh, he's Norm. Oh yeah, Norm. You're locked out. He's Norm. Right. It, that's what it is. Okay. All right. So, uh, the next piece of trivia is the Ferengi face on the Grand Nagus' staff, which we see right here next to us. Let me point in the right direction. Uh, is designed to resemble Quark. Uh, so, not just a generic Ferengi, but specifically vaguely Quarkish. In the next piece of trivia, the screen behind O'Brien in the school scene that we're going to see behind him while he's with Jake and Nog in the school scene... Uh, on there's a bunch of graphics and whatever, but it includes the puppet aliens from Cat's Paw from the original series, as well as Tribbles. So huh. if you freeze it and take a look at the screen, we've got some references to the original series. The next piece of trivia, this is the first appearance actually talking about getting traction and starting to feel like we're in the real Deep Space Nine. This is the first appearance of the final version of Odo's face. Ah, and they got a good so, close-up of it, too. So they were continuing to fine-tune Odo's makeup throughout the first nine episodes. Uh, but now we're finally in the fully uh, fully formed Odo face. And it was a, the, the makeup was a little thinner before, and you could see a little bit more of Renee's face. And this is sort of the flatter final version of Odo's face. So here we are, uh, just sort of finally settling in. And the uh, last piece of trivia, Max Grodenchik, <laughs> who plays Rom is brutally murdered by Tiny Tom, who plays Mehardu in the movie The Rocketeer. Huh. So uh, there it is. If you watch The Rocketeer, you're going to see uh, Rum get murdered by Mehardu. So that's something. So uh, the guest stars this week Major. include Lee Ehrenberg as Grawl, Lou Wagner as Crax, Tiny Ron as Mehardu. Uh, Tiny Ron, of course, uh, is a legit seven-footer. He was he was legitimately seven feet tall, uh, and of course, the legendary, inconceivably famous Wallace Shawn as Zek. Uh, so very, uh, he's under so much makeup, and you still know exactly who it is. It's Wallace Shawn playing. So Zek. I have a I have a story about him. <clears throat> oh, do tell. So, you know, Keith and I both lived in New York City for many years, and you run into a lot of famous people doing mm -hmm. random things, which is totally, like, uh, you know, cool. That's But, you know, it's not like you, you rarely geek out is what I'm getting at. However, mm -hmm. I saw uh, him at a uh, at Ripley Greer Studios, I guess rehearsing mm -hmm. for something. And, sure. you know, so I, I didn't geek out too hard. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was interested because he's, like, a legend, as you said. So then about, I guess I had, an, I had a, an audition or a rehearsal or something, and about 45 minutes later, I went to uh, Chipotle. <clears throat> and in Chipotle, I see him once again. 
But what caught me at Chipotle, which was surprising to me, uh, was that he was wearing a jacket. And I thought to myself, well, that's weird because it was the middle of June, Keith. It was okay. incredibly hot. And I thought, oh, maybe like maybe he's just running in there. Maybe he's, whatever he's rehearsing, he's, he's in costume or something, blah, blah, blah. Well, Keith, later that day, I go to the post office. And I see him once again, three times in a day, at the post office, <laughs> wearing a giant friggin' parka in the middle of June. No face Weird. covering. No, it's not like I'm in, I'm in like, high, I'm incognito. We're in New York. People do right, their right, things. Right. Uh, but so anyway, long story short, I'm a couple, a couple people behind him in at the post office, and he gets up to the window, and he talks, you know, surprisingly, shocker, he, his voice is his voice. But right, it's not, like, sure, it's not a character yeah. voice. It's just his voice. I just right, always assume yeah, it's a no. character voice. And so he's at the, he's doing, he's, he's mailing a letter, and he sounds like this while he's mailing a letter. And Keith, I just geeked out. I started giggling. I couldn't contain myself. How cool I thought it was that uh-huh. inconceivably he was at the post office doing the voice. And this episode, same thing. The second he, the niggas started talking, I started giggling because I'm like, uh, that's, that's that dude. That's that dude. Of course. It's Wallace Shawn, legendary actor and writer, <laughs> Wallace Shawn. <laughs> and then when they do the laugh when he's in the holodeck clearly doing whatever you're doing in the holodeck yeah you know what you, you know what he's doing <laughs> you do. five times five different programs yeah yeah well wouldn't you <laughs> all right well i think that is if that's not our uh, our cue to transition into the theater i don't know what is uh mike we don't forget we have a beautiful new transition yeah yeah sounds uh <laughs> sounds great if that's if that doesn't get you fired up to get into the episode i don't uh. know what will <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right. Okay, so here we are in the Negus. In the teaser, we begin with a shifty-looking Ferengi walking a giant uh, and uh, who we will discover later to be the Negus onto the station. There's no dialogue. We just see them uh, walking in all shifty-like. And meanwhile, Jake is wrestling. Oh, hold on. Uh, all right. I'm doing the screenshots. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, Jake is wrestling with pads before school. Cisco enters and tells Jake that he wants to take them to Bajor to the Gratitude Festival and see the fire caverns. Both of those words will be important later. And he's tossing off exposition that will eventually be two large pieces of Deep Space Nine lore. I just I wrote the same thing that I said it before in a different way, just not as quite as good. Uh, Jake does not want to go mm-hmm. because he has got plans with Nog. And, uh-oh, he's getting too old to hang out with his dad. Uh, and, of course, every time I see a pad and it's like a stack of pads, because you see it so often on, on Star Trek, like, oh, I'm so busy. I've got all these stack of pads because they con- were able to conceive of iPads, but they couldn't conceive that you could store more than one file on each iPad. So you need a separate iPad for each homework assignment for each book. Um Anyway, it's a gag. We also learn, I think it's important to point out, we also learn Jake really likes OJ. He very, well, I think he had lemonade before last week. He drinks week. OJ like three times this week. Yeah, he's, I don't know, maybe he's a citrus deficiency, needs some vitamin C. Yeah. So it's always lemonade, OJ. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll see. So uh, 
anyway, I like I thought it was a nice little father little father son mm-hmm. thing, very realistic. You know, like, oh, let's go, you know, like you're so used to going taking your kid and doing all these fun things and there's just there's always that moment some somewhere along the line they'll be like pass. Mm-hmm. I know that's, well. That's happened be with my nieces now. We had a birthday party for my nieces past weekend and they just want to hang out with their friends. Yeah. Well, understandable. So, uh as we uh Oh, get the OJ. Go back. Yeah, There's the OJ. <laughs> There's your OJ. I don't know. Uh, we're, all right. We're going to have to start keeping track of every time. What You know, new segment. What does Jake, what's Jake drinking? <laughs> what's because apparently Jake he's, drinking? Every episode he's got a drink. What do you think it is? It's OJ. It's lemonade. It could be great. What's Jake drinking? Okay, great. So <laughs> I hurt my neck, but yeah. <laughs> oh, so before I'm gonna, I'm gonna, maybe I'll look it up. Uh, do you have the IMDb pulled up by any chance? Uh, I, yeah, I should. I think it's important we highlight the makeup artist on this episode because we get to see so mm. many specific close-ups of the Ferengi uh, face, and there's some just incredible makeup work. And then of course we see Odo's sort of developing uh, design. So maybe we should highlight that. Yes, uh, that's a very good thing to do. Yeah, and especially because they had to create. Like so 20, 25 yeah. uh, different different Ferengi. So uh, let's take a look. Then makeup department. All right, the prosthetic makeup artist was Michael Mills, and uh, other makeup artists includes Jenna Phillips, Craig Reardon, Jill Rockow, and uh, the makeup designer and supervisor, of course, the legendary Michael Westmore. Incredible so, work uh, this week. Incredible work. Yeah. So uh, yeah, good idea. I'm glad glad we're we're calling out these folks um all right so uh at quarks we're gonna uh we're gonna find uh rom characterized as we're going to know and love him finally uh begins getting dressed down from quark from being for being honest uh so i think i mentioned it before the last couple times we saw rom it didn't feel like rom uh, because they hadn't dialed in what the character's mannerisms were going to be, and so this is finally what the char- who the character is. Because in the pilot, he's like ruff, 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 like this gruff guy, and then he was sort of halfway in between uh, when we first put Nog in school. But this is where where Max is finally like, all right, this is sort of who the character is, um, and uh, we're gonna see a lot more of Rom and watch that develop. And there's some interesting like. Uh, plot character beats for him in this episode uh but i'm not going to talk about too much because i don't want to spoil anything uh, for my co-host well and we get a little bit of you know i got a little more insight into the ferengi ethics as we'll talk about shortly and that as much as i thought it was transactional there is more of a finder's keeper vibe too like in this scene here we catch that a client of the bar of the casino lost their purse and I mm-hmm. guess there's no loss and found at Quark's because once no. found by Quark, it lost. So well, we learned that. It's almost like it's guided by a set of rules, perhaps the rules of acquisition. Mm. Getting its first uh we sort of we got some of the rules earlier, but it was never named the rules of acquisition. So uh but, you know, again, Planting a seed that's going to carry through for the rest of the series introduced in this episode. Uh, pretty cool. 
So, uh, yes, <laughs> I wrote down literally here crazy how much long-running run Deep Space Nine stuff is established in this episode. Ira Stephen Bear, I believe, had to be a part of it. And then Rom immediately goes and takes his stress out on his son Nog. Not yeah. cool, buddy. Yeah, Nog, uh, uh, Nog has a great arc in this episode. Nog has a fantastic arc in this episode. Um, but And we see the consequences of... Him making, you know, Nog clean the thing he, he passed on the, the job. Anyway, not not uh, Rom's greatest parenting moment in this. So uh, we continue forward. And this here's where we have Morn doing his, his lap. And I, I, I feel like in, in Armin's uh, reaction to how long it took uh, Morn to get the joke, I feel like that was an ad lib. There was something about about like that took you a while that felt like Armin Shimmerman in the moment as opposed to yeah. uh I, I I feel like he actually like soft broke in that and they kept it in, which I, I think is cool. Um anyway, so all of a sudden, boom, we meet the Grand Nagus' son Cracks, who says the Nagus wants to get in get get it on in Quark's Hollow Suite, and so we uh, we meet the Nagus for the first time, and immediately he just wants to get into it up on the Hollow Suite, uh, you know, because why not? And we hear as we go to as we fade out of the teaser, we hear the Nagus's laugh for the first time, although it was very clearly ADR'd. Mike, can you do an ADR'd Nagus laugh for us? <laughs> I, I bust that, out laughing during it. That that sounds more like the noise he was making in the Hollow Suite. And well, they I thought they were the same to be honest. To be frank, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely like wow. <laughs> we're well, gonna go big. Yeah, I guarantee you, you know, that was an actual legit artistic conversation that was had because I'm sure that uh, our our pal at the post office gave them his made a very I guess he saw his kind of design and was like I gotta make some bold character choices and they had to be like okay is this too silly like how much where do we want with this to live and they were like nah let's go with it well I mean if you're gonna cast Wallace Shawn you're gonna get Wallace Shawn yeah and and you know and the Ferengi have always been these comedic characters anyway so if you're gonna you know put in the the Ferengi king or president like Go big or go home, right? Right, yeah. So so, uh, so there it is. So we begin Act 1 in the schoolhouse. And O'Brien is the substitute teacher for Keiko. And there are way more kids in the classroom <clears throat> than when we first uh, met them. And the set is way more established, which is cool. Um, <clears throat> and we see, uh, we see O'Brien battling, trying to be a teacher. And uh, turns out Nog didn't do his homework. And he lies and says the Vulcans stole it. It's a funny gag on ethics. And he forces Jake to back him up in an obvious lie. Because uh, it works because O'Brien's a total pushover. But if you're paying attention uh, from the teaser, the reason he wasn't able to do his homework was because uh, Rom forced him to work all night. As opposed to having an opportunity to do his homework. And uh, anyway, so... Well, it's like Back. I think it's more than just like a joke on ethics. I actually think it's it's so multi-layered that I really enjoyed it because you've got three delicious little layers, right? You got layer one where uh, Rom is looking to Jake to like be a good buddy, and so we have the sort of analyzing 
whether the true what's the right ethical thing to do? Do you help your buddy out in this scenario, or do you or do you be right. able, do you tell the truth? Yeah. On top of that, they're comparing the ethics of Vulcans, who I don't know. I'm not a Star Trek uh, wizard by any stretch, but I know that Vulcans have pretty specifically black are, and are white, famous, <laughs> yeah. famously ethical. <laughs> um, so that's kind of a funny, funny joke. And then on top of that, we also see, you know, the first the first bit of broad brushing of of Nog this episode where he it looks like he's being bad and and all these judgments and assessments are made about him. But the truth is, is that he's just and this actually is a deep cut for ed, the educational system and kids in, in general. The bad kids yeah. aren't always bad. They might just have some shit going on at home, which is what we see is right. the, the layer here. So I thought that was a pretty effective scene for as short as it was. Yeah. Well, and there's also O'Brien's ethics. O'Brien knows they're lying. Yeah. And how is he going to handle it? And then we we see him sort of not embarrass Nog in front of the students. It was a positive ethical thing. And then later we're going to see him a scene out. where he throws uh, Nog yeah. onto the bus for Cisco, which yeah. it wasn't as ethical. So right. it's 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 complicated. It's interesting. I like it though. I really like. You know, it's it feels like such a low stakes story, but I think it was very important for the characters. And I, I also I like can it. we I like get can we get O'Brien some help? I mean, the guy is substitute teaching. He's always sending off crews, but his ass is working constantly. Everything's broken. He's always coming out of a hole, fixing a pipe, doing something. Like, give the guy a give him an assistant. He's the only. They don't they don't have a standby teacher. Because it was like, all right, so 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 Jen's doing doing fiddler, right? And uh, and and she's out, and you have to go in for her. Yeah, I gotta wait some tables. And that's not happening. No, 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 no. I'm sure there has to be some other teacher. He's not obligated because your wife's a teacher. Anyway, we don't got virtual. It's a good, We're in space, good, man. We don't got a program that's true. that can run. No holodeck teachers. Come on. Totally. Yeah. All right. Well, whatever. Wormhole in the plot. Yes, but it's a fun gag. Keep your characters in the story. So back at Quarks, the Nagus has been doing the deed in the Hollow Suite for hours. Oh, he thirsty. He he needs those electrolytes, yo. <laughs> uh, Quark thinks that Nagus, the Nagus, is going to take his bar, and uh, he returns and is very thirsty. A lot of this went over my head as a kid, but now thinking about it today, I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah, that's just like right there. That's Interesting he doesn't have, he's so thirsty coming out there, this, sorry, wormholing as we go, but he doesn't have this drink poison checked like he does later. That's true, although we don't know where that came from. Yeah, well, we, know, he, where, he we know where it's grab going. grab it off of a table. We know where it's going. We know, <laughs> we know what it's replenishing. Gross. <laughs> it's very funny. It's overt, but it's subtle, and it's, well, no, I guess it's not subtle in any way, shape, or form, but... It did well, it purpose because it went over your head as a kid. It so. went over my head, you know, when I was a kid, and now as an adult, I'm like, oh, oh, oh now I get it. Oh, what's going on in those hollow suites? And and at least it's Deep Space Nine has a level of honesty that Next Gen never did about like what goes on in the hollow suites. They're like, we're not going to pretend like we don't all know what's like what program one through ninety nine out of a hundred are. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, oh, I, I want to face off against a, a, a Sherlock Holmesian villain. Oh, you do? Because I think he just wants to, like, you know, knock it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you know, do and, some and of this. Deep, if you Deep Space me. Nine. Are we like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll do Sherlock after we do Sherlock. Yeah. Okay. So uh, anyway, Keith so and I are going to make no more sex jokes the rest of the show. That seems very unlikely. 
So Quark offers Rom's, Rom's quarters for the Nagus to sleep it off. And uh, back at Ops, we have the scene here where O'Brien rats out Jake and Nog. And uh, to Cisco's credit, Cisco's like, you know what? Uh, no, that's not cool. Like, well, he says I'm, that to him, but then you know he's about to go rip some shit. Well, he's he's going to, but he was also like, look, I can't tell my son who to be friends with, like. You know that's not ethical, but also it would a million times backfire. But, because, but it does show. Actually, now that I think about it, I'm going to pre preempt myself. It does show an interesting a reverse arc for Ben here because he starts out with that pre- that premise, right? Uh, and then mm-hmm. he's guided in some ways by O'Brien. Even Dax gives him some advice about right. how, how he should how he should parent. And in the end. He kind of comes to learn that, like, you know what? I trusted my son, and I'm glad I did. So, anyway, we'll, we'll yeah. get there. Yeah. We, we find out that Cisco's first instinct was right here. And everyone else's was wrong. And that's it's cool. Give your it's kid OJ. OJ's all you need. Just uh, all, all OJ. Just not the same OJ that uh, the Negus was drinking. Mm-hmm. So, at Quark's, we see exactly what you just said. Mayherdu tests the chilled tube grubs, and uh, the Negus likes them. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, uh, Ferengi cuisine leaves a little to be desired, but it's great for TV. Uh, the Nagus compliments Quark on his screwing people over in business. So, uh, obviously Quark's reputation has preceded them. Then the Nagus finds out that Nog is in school and is appalled. And Rob, Rom forbids Nog from doing his homework. Um, it's, uh, it, it's... Again, like the the Ferengi's whole economic system, their cultural system, their educational system is really really screwed up. It's hard to imagine how they were able to uh, get warp drive, uh, but they do anyway. Yeah, it's in um, that scene. It's even harder to kind of discern which he's just more disgusted by that he's in school or that there's a human teacher, right? So there's that double that double and doozy. a female teacher. Yeah. Um. So yeah, though there's a lot there. Um, and we can see uh, see Rom here eating a beetle. So we're, I don't think we've introduced beetle snuff yet, but we'll get there. And uh, again, look at that. Look just at the, it. the yeah. makeup effects. Like that's that is so much going on there, and the details of the ear hair. It's and, it's and really how delicate something. the eye area is too. Like so, we can still get the sort of you know acting's in the eyes they say, and so we can still get yeah. that, and yet have him have all this shit going on. And and you know and honestly the it is standard definition it's not high def but you can see here in this picture blown up the uh, how smooth the transitions are from the appliances to the actual mm-hmm. skin because it's it's cut right here below the lip and around the eye you can't really tell where the appliance ends and the skin starts and that's just really good makeup work so uh, yeah good job so we find out that the Nagus wants to hold a meeting at Quark's about setting up trade to the Gamma Quadrant, uh, which, uh, you know, makes sense. And uh, Quark is very relieved not to uh, have the Nagus take his bar, which he was afraid of. So as Act 2 begins, the station is swarmed with Ferengis, and Cisco tells Odo to keep an eye on them, uh, which... Uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of like prejudice here. Just assuming the Ferengis are up to no good, but also they're all they're up to no good. So yeah, generally, it's not he does not have a good track record thus far. 
No. No, he does not. Uh, the table is all set up, and the meeting begins. They kick out my boy. They kick out Morn. You know, it's like, it's it's Norm. He, he lives at the bar. It's a funny gag. I don't know why you think that, that was funny. I liked it. Uh, Morn is always welcome for me. So uh, on the promenade, Jake discovers a despondent Nog who's been banned from school. Jake's embarrassed, or Nog is embarrassed and disappointed. Then they fight. Um, it's a. I thought. Th- I thought this was a very realistic scene. Yeah, especially if kids that age, because your kids. Oh, oh, you're mad at me. I, I, I'm mad at you. Well, why are you mad at me? I'm mad at you. Like there's. It, there's not a lot of uh, emotional acuity to really kind of like discern what well, your feelings are. So it's just we're fighting. Well, and he's and and, and you can see Nog trans transitioning his his embarrassment. And his shame about his situation into conflict, and and it's, I yeah, I th- I just thought it was very realistic. The emotional beats here, um, in this relationship, in this story, are really well articulated. And I it, and it the felt- other thing that I think feels really true to life, and it is, I've observed a lot in my friends who are parents and my siblings who are parents. I always like to, I'm not a parent, so I, I I reserve judgment, but I've made those observations, and it is. Striking to me how a parents' opinions about who you should be friends with or what they think of various people uh, yeah. do trickle down and influence their child's behavior, and it's uh, it's visible Big in this time. episode. Well, and and it can be very damaging, you know, because yeah. if you if you establish the idea that I'm judging you based on your friends and your friends' behaviors, that's that has some consequences down the road, mm-hmm. and it can uh, can can mess you up. So. Anyway, good scene. I really like it. So, uh, at the uh, Nagus's meeting, they're doing uh, business, 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 and it turns out it's uh, oh, we have lots of lots scenes, uh, shots of that scene. Um, it turns out it's getting harder to do business because the Ferengi's reputation in the galaxy is roughly that of the Trump Organization, but nobody in the Gamma Quadrant knows. Nobody in the Gamma Quadrant knows they're all crooks, uh, which is a uh, which is an interesting and realistic thing because if the Ferengis have been out screwing the entire galaxy for generations, a wormhole to another galaxy, they don't know what they're up to. That makes perfect sense. Um, but then. Would have been, it would have been a good time for Quark to maybe be like, well, let's be careful because, you know, there are some like gambleholic races who will screw us over, like the Alamoremis. But I guess he decided to just like. You, I guess no, you don't bring that up to the Godfather until I, it's necessary. I, I think they were trying to make, you know, Quark was trying to make that episode non-canon. So oh, okay. uh, that was the. Uh... <laughs> Am I to understand and... though? So yeah, like they don't really break down the hierarchy of who the Negus is, but I guess he's like a godfather slash president type figure. Yeah, he is the leader of the Ferengi commerce. It's sort of like somewhere between the president and the king. Mm-hmm. That sort of a deal. So but like he's, also he's... like a gangster leader. Well, it's Frankie's. So they're all gangsters. Yeah, that's I mean, true. it's all it's all about you know acquisition, screwing people. Just like just I- I imagine he's like he's he's Trump. He's basically Trump. Uh, so uh, shots fired. Whoo, come at us! All right, look at those so subs, the, look uh, at those subs go down. I don't. I, I doubt. I doubt it. <laughs> anyway, so surprise! The Nagus announces that he's abdicating the throne, and the successor is <gasps> Quark. The uh, Ferengis are pissed. 
But uh-huh. of course, Quirk's super into it. So yeah, that get, is how we, we end we, act we two. We have a good series of screenshots coming up. It, they're like, we need to give each of these each of these extras a line and a close-up. So Clark's well, Clark's you, we you did all of that makeup work, and you hired these great actors to uh, to play the little Frankies. So there it is. There it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> into like, it. All right. Yeah, I'm into that. Uh, love it. And certainly, it, it, it was very like, oh, my God. They're making him king? It's only episode 10. That's crazy. Uh, cut to. So at the beginning of Act 3, it's the Cisco's quarters. Jake is sad. He tells his dad about Nog's problems and announces that Nog can't even read. Uh, and of course, that makes uh, Cisco start to wonder about lots of things. But we're not going to get into it yet because on the promenade, the Fereng- a Ferengi pirate named Grawl gets Quark to pay him for protection from envious Ferengis. And I say pirate because uh, the actor who plays Grawl is in the Pirates of the Caribbean oh. series, uh, Lee Ehrenberg. Uh, so it begins obviously. Um, a uh, a terrified Quark goes to the former Nagus, who well this uh, we before you learned... get there, let me give yeah, you yeah, Mike yeah. the play by play of Mike. So Mike <clears throat> thinks he's so smart and predicts the whole episode is going to be about Quark coming to realize that he doesn't want the throne, he doesn't want the power because everybody's coming for him and it's going to be cutthroat and it's going to be scary and mm-hmm. dangerous. Really, really had a shit eating grin. I was like, I got it, nailed it. I got it. We're doing like a Shakespeare. Instantly yeah. wrong, but you know. <laughs> well, that's the fun part. Uh, all right, so the quark goes to the former Nagus, who we learn is named Zek. Uh, good, you know, just lock that away. His name is Zek. And uh, he gives him advice to be ruthless. Then he abruptly dies. Boom. So uh, Zek is dead. Long live <laughs> Zek. So uh, they do a, uh, a funeral. And they hey, is there a the Zek tra- action figure, Keith? Hell yeah, there's a Zek action figure. Okay, cool. Don't don't worry. We're gonna we're gonna do it. In fact, I just acquired it. Yeah. Uh, Ferengi yeah, Parade. So, Ferengi Parade. Ooh, that's a good idea. Ferengi Parade. Uh anyway, so in this we learn that the Ferengis have the tradition of selling off pieces of the body. Which uh, I thought was great. What a great part. Great, great touch. Great. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like you know, you're and so the the body's gone, and you're selling these little discs. It's it's pretty funny. Um, and uh, Quark enlists none other than Rom to be his bodyguard. Uh, Rom tells Quark he hopes to take over the bar. This causes Quark to do a brilliant spit take. Which I couldn't and, catch. Uh, I couldn't catch it, but ah. Uh, and uh, if, if you listen with cans on. He also peaks all of the microphones laughing, mm-hmm. and they didn't bother to go back and ADR it. So all of the microphones when he was laughing peak. <laughs> so uh, Odo comes up to investigate the death, of course, but the body has already been vacuum desiccated. So uh, yeah, so what did you think of the of a Ferengi funeral? That was great. I thought it was exactly what it should be. It did raise this question though when Odo pops up because clearly Odo. I feel like 80% of Odo's day, and, you know, head chief security officer on a huge space station is a pretty epic task. But I feel like 80% of his day is, like, making sure that Quark isn't up to any funny business. And That's it brings right. up the big question that you and I have said so many times. 
either get a camera up in that bitch or have the computer just constantly in surveillance. Like, why did I feel like Odo doesn't need personal touch so much? But well, I guess we need because, the TV. Because, I mean, A, they're in love. Yes, but also B, that. Uh, but B, I believe that the Federation rules of privacy would prohibit him from doing that. But he can so glue himself into an object and spy? That's cool? I don't think that's cool by the Federation rules, but it's harder to stop him doing it. That mm-hmm. that would be my that would be my guess. Um, you know, also we need to see in the spar, but you can see Odo's final makeup there, where it's it's a little bit flatter than your uh, than you've been seeing thus far. But Renee, that posture that's just terrible. Look at that posture. He's he's leaning in. He's oh, okay. he's freaking out. <laughs> Actually, Armin Shimmerman's face there is hilarious as well. <laughs> Yo, Armin Shimmerman gives, in all of the episodes, this is the best face. Been, like, he gives so much face that it is, it is a master class in, in not scene chewing, but just face doing. Under all of that makeup. Mm-hmm. He's so talented. Uh, so, and there is Odo playing with the vacuum desiccated stuff. So, uh, on the promenade, Jake and Nog patch it up. And Jake has an idea. Um, I, I like the idea. I, I, I love that they establish that Jake and Rom hang out here on the promenade on, on the second level because that's exactly what they would do. I mean, because they're basically in a shopping mall, right? So yeah, it's what you do at the mall. You go up the escalator and you watch all the people walk by. Yeah. And, Perfect. and that's, you know, the, and they're looking for cute Bajoran girls and toys and whatever comes through. Like it, it's, it, this representation of 14 year old Jake and Nog they got right because sometimes i think earlier in the series they played jake as much younger than he is and so he's they sort of play him like he's 10 when he's not he's 14 and the difference between a 10 year old and a 14 year old is is huge and i think that this actually felt much more appropriate to his age and actually last episode too Mm -hmm. um they got that right, and not so, just that. Uh, not just the representation. It should be pointed out the the performances as well as well are very grounded yeah. and realistic. But I mean that comes with the territory. The best way to get kids to give a good performance is to write kids naturally. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I, I, that's a really good way to put it because it felt feels like he's just an, an extension of probably what's going on in his real life. Yeah. at that point. Um, so uh, anyway, there's a uh, quark is bothering Odo, and then. Look out! He survives an assassination attempt. Mm-hmm. So they have a uh, sort of the hunter killer drone come in and try to zap him, and uh, but he survives. So, all right. So Mike, having I'm sure figured out everything at this point, who did you think tried to assassinate Quark? Then, uh, well, they had set it up, and I guess I just it, I I went with the. Uh the most obvious choice it being the son right the guy it was it was at least masterminded right. by the the neg- the original negus's son that was my yeah i didn't i didn't i didn't i didn't uh even sniff the the resolution even though i should have but i didn't that was kind of just going with it beat by beat it's all very shakespearean so as act 4 begins o'brien explains to cisco and odo that it was a ferengi tracking bomb so that's cool uh they, uh, it, it was, it's like, um, oh God, why can't I come up with, uh, well, Keith, you, blip, I thought you blipped right there, but that was just you thinking. 
that was my brain blipping. I have a trigger warning for blips now. Uh, all of my uh, my bandwidth is great, <laughs> technology wise, but just brain. Uh, it's it reminds me of the of the hunter killer things from Dune. Mm. Uh, so uh, they try to get Quark to tell them uh, who done it, and they are there are several suspects, but they can't pin it down. Uh, but they realize that Mayhardu was the only one not at Zek's funeral. Uh, and uh, his species are famously loyal. So, uh, back at their quarters, Cisco grills Jake on what, he, what he's been doing with Nog. And uh, Jake says it's private and Cisco is pissed. Uh, so we are s- sort of escalating that... Uh, that conflict between father and son there i'm behind on the screenshots oh man uh, give it a good go you gave it a good go buddy uh, you know i i would i did really well for a while so uh meanwhile quark is enjoying grilling and negotiating other ferengi while petting a puppet uh so he's making deals oh there's orange juice more orange juice oj so that's the scene where where jake will not say what's going on with nog which i think is cool so uh, here and here's. Uh, and do you think the choice part. there now? This is important. Let's discuss yeah. it at the moment. Do you think yeah. that choice on Jake's part is is to protect Nog from his parents, or because Nog said don't say anything? And I'm he's... sure it's because Nog said don't say anything. Yeah. Like I'm 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 sure because like it's he's probably. I mean, we're obviously seeing that Nog is feeling shame and embarrassment about the whole situation, mm-hmm. right? He's he's ashamed with the Ferengis because he wants to go to school and they don't want him to go to school. He's ashamed of the people at school because he hasn't had the education and opportunities and time. So he's Nog's in a tough spot here. Yeah. And I totally understand why he wouldn't want people to know that he can't read and such. So, yeah. I uh, I, I, I think, again, it all makes sense to me. And, and Jake's not giving, you know, giving him up, even though it makes Jake look good. Yeah. Uh, it's a good good beat. Good beat. So, uh, what did you think of Quark's puppet here? Oh, awesome. This whole scene is such a like a godfather godfatherarian scene. Godfatherarian. Uh, yeah, that uh, and it's such sort of like a pistache like comical moment but played straight and all the different like the just brilliant design of the Ferengi. I really enjoyed this scene quite a bit. And just it's, like Armin Shimmerman too, like not overly chewing the scenery, like recognizing that sort of the imagery and the costuming was doing a lot of the heavy lifting for him. So we didn't overplay any of it. It was just like right. so tastefully done that it, it was funny, but also a good scene. It was great. And the lighting is phenomenal in the scene. Good lighting. Yeah. Yeah. David Livingston did a good job uh, on the direction of all of that. It was so, interesting uh, because last week was such a, an example of like how to do camp wrong. And this week, did camp right in so many ways so yeah yeah no totally and it's like this is a full comedy episode mm-hmm. right and you and we'll talk about it at the end but if if you had before i saw what they could do with the ferengi and their culture and, the, and like if you pitched me a ferengi comedy episode i'd be like no that sounds terrible why would i want to watch a ferengi comedy episode but then you execute it and you're like no that's super mm-hmm. fun that's delightful so, uh, at the end of this scene, uh, Quark exits, and we find out it was Rom and Crax who tried to kill Quark. 
So you were half right. Mm-hmm. It was half the sun and rum, which is crazy when you think about it in the long run. But uh, anyway, that's well, what happened. In the short term, though, like I thought that they earned it very well with how shitty Quark treats Rom. No, oh, for sure. Right from the very beginning. And also mm-hmm. Rom's ambition to run the bar. Yeah. And, and, and how, like, if Quark is the king, at least he can do is let him run the bar. Uh, but no, so there it is. Hey, have you ever wondered, Keith, before you move on, how Avery mm. Brooks could over-indicate with a baseball metaphor? <laughs> Uh, well, what props? You about Always to get props. that? You about to get that? Yes. So uh, Dax visits Cisco to give him some parenting advice. Jake has blown off dinner again, and we learn in this that Dax has been a mother three times and a father twice. And she advises that Cisco go find Jake and bring him back to dinner. Uh so. And then, uh, and then sits there and, and steals the aubergine stew. Yes. Which I don't think we're going to hear more. And so. if you were asking yourself this whole scene like I was, is he going to put that baseball into the empty soup bowl? The answer he is yes. He sure is. He sure is. He, he sure is. Uh, and uh, I don't know. It's pre-COVID, right? They, they, they yeah, solved COVID, so he could just put things in the soup. It's fine. So uh, when Cisco does find Jake... He finds that instead of screwing around, Jake is teaching Nog how to read. Uh, which is a, uh, you know, I found this very heartwarming. Me too. I really touching, really touching. It's it's a it's a very like it's a it's a touching moment. It's a very human, even though it's a human and a Ferengi moment. And I thought it was a really great moment for for Jake, for Nog, for Cisco, and for the show. Frankly, it but- it, it has a very compassionate heart you know there's a there's a lot of examples here but i'm sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna throughout this episode i'm gonna over i'm gonna give an over over analogy because it's not as it's not as like overt in the episode but it struck me you know my father love my father he wasn't he wasn't a day-to-day participant in a lot of my life so a lot of the like sort of fundamental life skills you learn i didn't i didn't get from my dad but my brother was there for me and I'll never forget, man, I could not freaking ride a bike. No matter what mm. I tried, all my friends were zipping around. I could not get off training wheels. Could not do it, Keith. And then one day, my brother, God bless him, was like, F it. You're going to ride a goddamn bike. And he took those training wheels off, and we spent the day in the driveway falling down, falling down, falling down. And then he, the one time he let go. And we all have that example of one thing, one life skill that you remember. Yeah. And I remember, uh, same thing, my next-door neighbor, Trisha, uh, for some reason couldn't uh, tie her shoes. And I happened to be Mm. the one one summer that, like, was able to give her the whatever the pneumatic device was or the whatever. And to this day, she remembers, every time I see her, it's like, oh, you helped me learn to tie my shoes. And there's a million examples of that in running a camp. But those are the things that stick with you. So, like, you know... The, the person who taught you to read is a huge thing. And I thought that yeah. this little captured, this little moment, for some reason, really filled me with that, like, how important this was and how cool Jake is for it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was it, – it, we're digressing, apparently. But it's our show. We can digress if we want. Uh, I've been thinking lately about gratitude for information. 
Right, because you know you, you grow up with a kid. They're trying to like give you information all the time, and like, yeah, screw you. I don't want to know their how to do algebra or whatever. But as an adult today, when somebody gives me a piece of information that I don't know and can use, I'm so grateful. I really appreciate it. You know, and and so that people giving you knowledge and how useful that is continues into adulthood. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I I always use the example of. A uh, friend of mine, Jason, taught me how to notate drums, right? Notate, so like to do the sheet music for drum patterns. So like, you know, piano music, singing music, you can see that. But drums, how the hell do you notate the drums and the and the kick and the snare and the tom and whatever? And he took 45 minutes on the phone with me and just like, all right, so here's the thing. You separate the, the hands and the feet and this is this line and this line means this. And I have used that. Every day for the last ten years since he showed let's me that. take a moment just for fun uh, thought example. We want obviously want your opinions on the show and whatnot, and always are your corrections, which I know are coming. But <laughs> um, what's a what's a piece of information, random or life skill that you received from somebody? Let us know in the comments. Let's let's share yeah. our gratitude together. This so that would be a fun positive thing we could do. Pop them in there. Yeah. So uh, so thank you to Jason DeBord and Mike's brother. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, where were we? Oh, okay. So, back at Quark's, uh, Quark and Nog are heading off for the wormhole to finish up negotiations with a partner. Nog, again, asks Quark for the bar, and Quark, again, shuts it down. Meanwhile, we see Odo trailing Mayherdu. Uh, so as Quark arrives at the airlock, Rom great and gooing. Crack... That's a great gooing right there. Oh right. Oh that. Oh that's right. So so Quark is able to follow Meherdu through an airlock by gooing and sneaking in through the which <coughs> yeah wormhole. If it's an airlock, yeah, the there wouldn't be space it, yeah. for gooing. There there would not be gooing space. But uh, whatever. It's a cool visual. Uh, so as Quark arrives at the airlock, Rom and Cracks trap him and plan to literally eject him into space. <laughs> and just before Rom hits the button, cold. That's such a pro wrestling moment, too. We're getting, there's a screenshot of it, of right before the, what they call the hot tag. Um, the hot tag, that's right. It's like in pro wrestling, right before uh, the bad guy gets his comeuppance, they're, you know, the, mm-hmm. the good guy's got to tag his partner. And it's like no human beings would ever wait so long to just do this motion. Uh, and that's what we got here. You're like, okay, there, he's really buying time for Odo to come hit him with a steel chair. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> but it's not Odo. It's Zek. Zek shows up. He's alive. He's alive. <laughs> and he stops them. It turns out... All of it was a test to see if Zek's son was ready to take his place, and he failed. So, uh, as it turns out, all not is that well. he would be, and I thought it was, and this is a great little twisty twist. He didn't fail because he wasn't cutthroat enough or ruthless enough. It was because he wasn't smart enough to come up with yeah. a ruse in order to then get Quark later. To well, right because. It all did come back to the value of Quark's bar. 
being right at the mouth of the wormhole. And so Zek wanted his son to take over the bar and slowly undermine Quark's power uh, while letting him be a figurehead, letting Quark be the puppet. So a a different layer of treachery. Uh, Speaking of treachery, all is well with Quark and Nog. uh, Yeah, because... uh, uh, Quark is proud of uh, Rom. Sorry, uh, Quark is proud of Rom for his treachery, for uh, planning to, to try to kill him, which I thought was another great twisty twist. Oh, it it was so it it's you know again we don't we assume that all these you know alien species are going to have human like ethics, and uh, turns out nope they they like the treachery. It's uh it it's fun. So we finish as Jake and Nog perv on a hot Vulcan. Then uh, Cisco shows up and is proud of him, not for perving, but for helping him learn how to read and tells them to be friends after all, thus starting a long journey of the friendship of Jake and Nog. And that, folks, is the Nagus. So uh, what do you say? We uh, we throw a little quiz at Mike in uh, in a segment we like to call. Oh, hold on! Something's wrong with the audio. Yeah, it's coming out of the wrong place. I don't know why. Why don't you just uh, keep? I think we have to do it live. Do it live. Okay, fine, fine. All right, let's. Uh, you know what? I'll, we'll we'll do the audio in post. Will we? I can hear it. It's it's not being recorded. You're going to have to fix it in post. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So your first... He's not going to do that. No. Uh, so your first <laughs> quiz question is, what is the Nagus? Keith, the Nagus. Have you ever seen the Godfather? Well, instead of kissing the Godfather's ring, you got to kiss the Nagus... The, the, <laughs> the, the, the Nagus's naked ass. No. um, The Nagus's staff with... with, with the Ferengi face on it, modeled after Quark's, but I think it's supposed to be a, just a sort of Ferengi. He's the he's the sort of president, godfather, lead uh, guy. He's the, he's the he's the, the you, I think you called him the Trumpian figure in the Ferengi world. Indeed, you are correct, sir. Inconceivable. I can't play the bumper. I I can't play the button. Ding 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 ding. Okay, your next vocab quiz is. What are chilled tube grubs? Ah, uh, well, what are they really? I think they're mealworms, Keith. Uh, but mm. in this case, I think they're like a, a Ferengi delicacy or an appetizer, an hors d'oeuvre, if you will. Mmm, Ferengi food. Yes, indeed. Ding, 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 ding. And lastly, I gave you three this week because you always complain that I gave you two. Yeah, right. Mike, tell us what are the rules of acquisition? Keith, if I see it or you lost it and I get it in my possession, it mine. Uh, that is not quite correct. Oh, that, is, that is a rule of acquisition. But oh, it is a merely, set of rules. It is a set is, of rules that, that, that guide the ethical mm. principles and the transactional behavior of the Ferengi race. There you go. Ping, ding, 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 ding. Excellently done. All right. Now it's time to come along home to the 
Venegas. Mike, did you find any wormholes in the plot? Um, this is going well. <laughs> yeah, well, it turns out we just talked it up at the beginning. I found it a little bit uh, inconsistent that they didn't uh, that he was so parched after his masturbatorial fest that he didn't uh, that he didn't have uh, oh, okay. the seven footer like you know test his poison pills, his his Sunny D, to make sure that there wasn't anything in there. But, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why is this so big? This episode brought to you by Vitamin C. Are you vitamin C deficient? Come on to Deep Space Nine. We're going to fill you up with vitamin C. Anyway, yeah, uh, that that's a little thing, but I, I saw it in there. And I'm trying to think what else. I, um, uh, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you'll jog my memory. Go ahead. Uh, well, I think I mentioned it before, uh, why there's no substitute teacher beyond oh, yeah. O'Brien. He feels mm-hmm. like he's busy. Not important. It's, no. you know, like, I, I it, structurally, you need to involve your cast. I get it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that there's always going to be some level of wormhole with the Ferengis because they are always, like, structurally, institutionally, the species, the, the government, the educational system, that it's... You know, it, it's designed to be funny. It's designed. It obviously is a is is a commentary on capitalism. You know, sort of taken to the nth degree. But it's it. If you really think about any of it too hard, it's really hard for them to have established a successful warp bearing, <laughs> you know, uh, existence if they really are following these rules all the way through. But uh, you know, again. It's it's more for comedy. It's more for for fun story. It's not like a logic machine. So, it's a wormhole. I just don't care. Mm. So, uh, mm. what do you say we pick a best moment, Michael? Oh, my, sorry, my wife's calling me from the other room, which seems weird. Oh, fine. Um, we'll take a break. Yeah. No, no, no. It's okay. Uh, I think she. Uh, I think she'll figure it out, or she'll come in, into the room if it's a problem. Um. Anyway, yes. Uh, sorry, what what are we doing? <laughs> we had a wormhole in our show. Yeah. We're doing the best moment, Mike. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Um, you know, there's a lot of good moments. Everything with Quark and Nog, I think, are my favorite moments um, because they were so. We talked about it during the conversation. Jake and Nog. I, Jake and Nog. Sorry. Um, they were so natural, and I think that, as sort of surface as they seem, there's a lot of there's there's in my opinion the best the best nuggets of of wisdom and humanity are are in those bits. The stuff mm-hmm. the stuff with Quark is great, and I think there's are there are lessons to be mined from that, uh, things to be learned from it. But I, I thought I thought that the takeaways, the sort of if you will, the ethical. Uh, ideas that are meaningful and I think are peppered throughout the episode are best are best portrayed there and then. And and not just about parent and son, but about friendship and about uh, what I'm going to talk about when we get to the rating, um, breaking cycles, which I mm. will talk about in a moment. So mm. uh, everything with Jake and Nog. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with you. I, I think that's definitely the favorite moments. Uh, so I'm going to agree with you there, but I'm going to give a, a a bonus favorite moment to uh, Thirsty Nagus coming out of the hollow suite. Uh, 
I, I didn't even notice it then, but it gave me a chuckle today. <laughs> like, it sure did. It was really funny. Really funny. It was well a, a really, really good chuckle there. Okay, so now uh, let's get into it. Let's give this episode an amount of self-sealing stem bolts. So we learned a lot of stuff. I thought the stuff I really liked about the the Quark and the Nagus storyline was that you know, we talk about in our other show a bunch of the, the twisty twist for twisty twist's sake, right? But here I thought the twisty twists were kind of cool in that we find out that the sun was the one setting out to get Quark, right? But it wasn't, he didn't fail this big test because, uh, well, the testy test made sense, right? It would make sense for the, for the, uh, the Nagus to want to make sure that the said person was underhanded enough. And just the plot to kill Quark wasn't enough. He wanted he wanted him to show more, which I thought that was a twisty twist that made sense. Do it in a smart way. And then the twisty twist, second twisty twist, which I also made sense, is you think for sure, oh, Quark's been a dick to um, his brother this whole time. Rom. Yeah. Rom. But so he's going to be double pissed. Like, Rom is definitely in for it. But then he's like, no, you're the man. You, I didn't think you had it in you, but you do. That's great. So, yeah, the, I, I liked all the, the Ferengi stuff. But what I really want to focus on is what I thought was the coolest bit about the Jake and Nog relationship here is that, you know, Star Trek Star Trek often we kind of look at how it's this, this uh, sort of a beacon of advanced ideas and that we've come, that we've progressed as a race as humans and as a civilization, as a galactic civilization in some ways. But what I thought was interesting about this episode is, you know, and you, I think you mentioned this before, you know, we, a lot of times on on ships, we, we bring in guests and we respect their cultures. But on the space station, the difference here is that it's a melting pot. It's very much like our country, our mm-hmm. planet, where it's 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 a melting pot, it's it's a conglomeration, and we have to exist together. So there isn't a complete separation of the different uh, cultures, right? And what I think is interesting here is that multiple people that we've come to learn and respect, uh, Ben, uh, Dax, yep. Ob- O'Brien, O'Brien, and the Ferengis, obviously, who are all very intelligent all state pretty definitively here, and even Odo, who's con- continually suspicious, state, look, we've never come up with a way to really get, to really trust each other, the Ferengis yeah. and the humans. We've, it's just yeah. not going to happen. It's just, we, they're, they're conflicting ethical viewpoints, conflicting everything. Yeah. And I, what kept coming back to me was, once again, sorry to bring it to my family, was this conversation I had with my father, um, because my dad would get pretty mad at us, but, but, but he never hit us. And every once in a while he would say that. He's like, you know, I never laid a finger on you guys. And I would, and I remember as a kid saying to him, Well, you're not supposed to, right? Like parents, you're not supposed to hit your kids. That's what we learned. And then my right. dad shared with us, and my grandfather was, you know, sorry to air my laundry on on the internet, but my grandfather beat the living crap out of my dad. Like it was bad. It was a bad scenario. And my dad told me, he's like, I re- I recognized that as a kid that I swore that if I ever had kids, I wouldn't lay a finger on them. And I, mm. as I've become an adult and I've learned about different things, I've heard about and learned about abuse and different things, it's really hard, not just physical abuse, but alcohol abuse and all kinds of things. It's really sure, hard to break yeah. those cycles. And so the person who was responsible for breaking that cycle 
legitimately alters the course of history in a lot of ways. For like, sure. You know, breaking that cycle wasn't easy for my dad, and it sort of set up a lot of the ways that we are as human beings. And so Jake and Nog here, as, as cute and as sort of simple as you can view this plot line, are, are, are really breaking a cycle of mm. relationship. And yeah. it could hold, it sort of, look, because even in the future of Trek here, there are certain repetitive things that we haven't got, like interspecies uh, relations are still come become political or become standstill because of old thoughts and ideas. And Jake and Nog are breaking a cycle here, and that friendship they're establishing is something is being treated as something new and beautiful. And I think that's awesome. What an advanced yeah. idea. And and I, so I really thought it was powerful. Yeah. Anyway, that all said. Uh, I think it's a really great episode. It's funny. It's heartfelt. I felt that the plot was there's an, there aren't great stakes involved, and there's no ticking time as usually there is. And I thought that was a refreshing change of pace and a re refreshing change of um, pattern. I'm going to give it a solid eighty self sealing stem bolts. Yeah. No, I no, I I agree with you. I think it's 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 really well put about um, sort of breaking the cycle and the story that we're telling here of you know the people from two two different universes you know becoming friends in an environment that's not used. To, and of course, it's sci-fi, so it's all an allegory, mm -hmm. right? It's not, all, all all an allegory of different human communities finding ways to to become friends and overcome the cycles, like you like you said, breaking the cycle and. Uh, breaking free of family legacy, breaking free of cultural legacy, and rising above it, and and having consequences moving forward. And you know we're going to find out on Deep Space Nine the consequences of this friendship and the consequence that this has, which will will be bigger than just Jake and Nog. It'll be bigger than it, it's going to have reverberations for generations beyond that. Great. And that's really, really cool. And that's good storytelling. And that's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's great. I really like that. Um, and it was very, you know, because we've we've talked a lot about how sometimes the sci-fi overrides the character beats, overrides the character development. And this, and this, this one, there's almost no sci-fi in this at all. Right. It's all about character development about building worlds right and we're building the world of the ferengi much like uh which they were established in the next generation but not really that fleshed out and it's the same thing that where klingons were in the original series they didn't really get fleshed out until next generation and so it is the next the next series fleshing out something established in a really deep and meaningful and you know and of course in the frank it's it's just it's fun it's silly mm -hmm. but it is also a pretty pretty savage uh, critique of capitalism and and there's like a lot going on there which uh again sci-fi being allegory oh it's yeah we're not talking about capitalism we're not talking about trickle-down economics we're talking about ferengis right wink you know and it's it's really cool i really really like that so um you know, is this like some legendary episode of Deep Space Nine? No, but this is this is what the show's baseline is going to be. 
right? You know, it's going to take, you know, a couple of seasons before we don't have clunkers anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, every episode is going to be rooted in this interesting character stuff and have something to say. Um, and uh, so we are just beginning, we are scratching the surface with our friends, the Ferengis here, um, and this relationship. So, really fun. I, I, this felt like one of the first proper episodes of Deep Space Nine, where this this feel you know having the knowledge of all seven seasons right this one's like oh yeah no this feels like like the deep space nine not a show trying to sort itself out trying to figure out what it is and which is not to say that we're not going to have clunkers coming up because we we got some we got some woofs coming up (laughs) but uh but i really really did like this episode um so yeah i think i'm i think i'm like right there with you I'm gonna give this. Uh, I'm gonna give it an 82 self-sealing right. stem bolts. All right. So next week we are watching Vortex. So uh, that will be fun. Thank you so much for watching our little show. Uh, we will be back next week. We're we're having a blast doing this. If you would like to join us and uh, become producers on the show, essentially, you can uh, do so at patreon.com slash K&M. Get bonus episodes, get AMAs, get all the usual stuff. Uh, but really, you become a, a producer on the show, and we, we very much appreciate it. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, give us a like give us a subscribe hit that notification bell it really helps it we're trying to get trying to build an audience but we're trying to do it organically you know we're not trying to go out and like do all this stuff we uh so in order for us to grow it organically it means tell a friend you know if if you're part of deep space nine stuff and and just just post about the show let other folks know that we exist if you're enjoying this and that will make a really big difference to us so thank you so much for watching We'll see you back next week. Till then, this has been. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM. <laughs>